right, hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, good to be here. We are doing a podcast uh, live after week three of our environmental series, Rewild. Uh, so today I'm joined with my co-host in person, Kelly Ravensgraf. Hey, Kelly. Hey, now. <laughs> so uh, last year we had a conversation, you and I had a conversation about kind of our trajectory and the story of Mission Hills and centering environmentalism and talking about climate change in a way that really puts it at the center of our spiritual practice and how we approach spirituality and theology in general and how we might be able to move toward um, not seeing uh, faith and spirituality and Christianity here and then environmentalism on the side or something that we care about or talk about on Earth Day, but actually becomes a core part of how we move in our lives and uh, how we incorporate this and in everything we do. So we kind of talked about the, how that had been a journey for us at Mission Hills and trying to work those out in different ways over the course of six years. And uh, so we wanted to kind of return and do uh, a follow-up pop- podcast on that and then do something on the, on the back end of our Rewild series, which uh, we just finished uh, our week three today. And so we're going to do a bit of uh, maybe... Uh, a recap of some of that and then taking some of our community questions, incorporating that into into this conversation. And then on Sunday, we will kind of hash all of this out. So that'll be a little bit of where we're going with this episode. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for continuing to engage Mission Hills with uh, all of who you are and bringing in such uh, thoughtful questions and important engagement around um, uh, an area that we're all you know, deeply concerned about. And so working out this in community is uh, such a gift. So thank you all for um, being a part of it. All right, let's kick it off, Kelly. Um, why, why, why do we still do this? What, what is, uh, I guess, stirring in your imagination as you think about doing this, uh, you know, Mission Hills year four of this conversation? What is, uh, what is, I guess, at the front of your mind when you think about conversations around like eco-spirituality? Yeah. I love returning to this because it feels like a good check-in each year, not just with the folks who are making up kind of Mission Hills conversation in that specific time, but then also to track, you know, how we as a community have moved, being able to look back on the year prior to say, these are the ways in which we actually showed up in our values and were able to Mm. do things that connected deeply uh, to what we say we believe in, but then also set a vision for how we move forward together to pay attention to, are we feeling more burnt out this year? Are we feeling more hopeful this year? Because we know that there's seasons for all of us, not just with our sense of faith and spirituality, but then how we're able to respond to just the general injustice in the world. And we've talked about it so many times before, but because all of it is interconnected, We know that we don't have to be doing it all. We can't do it all. And so we're just trying to pay attention to what does it mean for Mission Hill specifically as a local church, just really a local organization, but then also as individuals, you know, how are we making sense of where we're at? Um, What big changes do we notice? And then how can we attend to the things that we need in order to keep showing up for ourselves first and then also our community and then also the environment? So I think what I've noticed over the past four years is that with kind of 2020, um, there were so many movements and hopes of, hey, by 2030, we're going to be hopefully meeting all of these benchmarks in terms of environmental care. And then as the years have progressed, the last three years, I think we just have all recognized in ourselves a sense of burnout and a sense of kind of distrust of the system or um, some of the follow through. And I think that's incredibly disheartening, um, especially as we know that there are folks who are experiencing the very real impact world worldwide right now because of climate change. And it is hard to find a sense of hope. It is hard to find a sense of meaning, but it's not impossible either. So I think that's what brings me back to this conversation every year is that as a good Enneagram 7 would do, we try to find some silver lining in the midst of all of the pain 
while not discrediting it either. Um, and I think trying to find this empathy, you know, mm. this, the sense of belonging with the earth helps. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think that's really interesting in thinking about just starting at mission Hills and, and thinking small first. And I think for us that, that journey and experience has changed and it, it happens on like a community garden level. It happens at a really small and intimate level. And then it sort of like filters out into so many of the community connections uh, that we have and the relationships that we build with other partner organizations. And then uh, even expands out to just mission Hills affiliations and 1% for the planet and doing all of those uh, broader partnerships uh, that we have. And I mean, with an organization, the size of mission Hills, like we're, t- we're talking about, it's, it's so small, but I think that's also, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think we'll get to that. Like in our, in our question, I think sometimes we think, Oh, because we are a small organization or we are just one person it's really hard to have an impact. And I think continually reminding myself and the Mission Hills community that uh, no small action is too small, that there's always something that that can be done. And I think thinking about that consciously and then continuing to just do the work is really just an important part of that. I mean, I was planting pumpkins in the garden last month and uh, it's kind of like a reflexive thing for me at this point because the community garden has just always been there. But then I sort of think back, um, well, that's no small thing to, you know, take out everything in the community garden that had died over the summer and plant pumpkins. And so for me, it it kind of is this, you know, a little bit of just a reflex. Um, but it also has, uh, a purpose and a meaning as well, however small that might be. Uh, so for me, it it kind of is these rhythms that you find yourself in after so many years of just sort of doing different sorts of things as a part of Mission Hills that I think, um, you know, honestly, to the average person might not seem very much, but I think it are really worthwhile when we think about having having an impact and having uh, an eco-spirituality that encompasses uh, both the philosophical and theoretical problems that we face, uh, and then also just the the sort of like existential aspect of the climate crisis. So for me, uh, it's important to return to the rhythms, and it's important to have a sort of set of rhythms as a church and a community, uh, because there's always that space then to uh, to sort of regather and re like recenter yourself in something that is bigger than yourself. So for me, that's why I always return to this conversation. And it's just kind of like how um, we, we follow the church calendar and the lectionary. And some people might think, well, that's like redundant to do that. But within that sense of structure, you're always finding something new within that framework. And I think thinking about eco-spirituality and environmentalism in the same way is uh, you're just creating an ever wider, wider space for people to find themselves in and find and rediscover something new within that space. So uh, I think that's why I continue to um, think about these ideas and find them important to talk about in the, t- in the context of uh, Christian life. So that's kind of where, where I'm at. And I think it's important to celebrate that those have become reflexes for you. Um, and for our community that this is just part of our natural rhythm because we know that that's not true of every place. And the hope is that we create a a safety net that we can have these conversations, know that we're holding these really heavy, hard things together and that no one is left alone or left behind in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some people in our community are on the forefront of some of these conversations and some of these forms of activism, other folks, it's like, I just have enough to kind of get through my week and I want to be able to have energy for this conversation, but maybe I'm not there yet. So it's really beautiful to see how even over the past three weeks, our community comes together to say, hey, like, how are how are you actually? And what are you thinking about these things? Um, and I think there's so much to learn from 
nature and the environment Mm -hmm. that informs our faith. I think people generally tend to do well with having a metaphor or analogy. And we see so much of that, not just biblically, but then also I think in our lived experience that we can say, oh, I understand what it means when I can say my best like looks different in every season or that things are only meant to grow in certain environments and that we can't judge ourselves for not growing if we're in an unhealthy environment. Um, Things like that come to mind that are helpful for my interpretation of Mm. either scripture or spirituality or justice work that are coming directly from our experience of the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little vacuum down here. Uh, yeah, I think that's really well said. And um, yeah, I think it's in the context of Mission Hills uh, to have that like yearly check-in is a really important way to think about that as well, that we know that there's always going to be uh, the month of September when we get to have this uh, intentional space to say, how how are we doing uh, how are how, how is our world doing? Uh, and I don't think it was entirely intentional when we sp- when we started September as being our climate month. But it is kind of funny. I was thinking about over the course of the summer as there were record high temperatures and things like that. It, it is at more of the like front of your mind in September because you're usually coming off of uh, like a really you know bad summer mm-hmm. of you know wildfires or droughts or. I mean, all kinds of uh, ecological uh, disasters at this point. But so I think it was definitely, you know, at the end of August headed into September, really on the front of everyone's mind again this year. And it really does create the opportunity for people to come together and say, um, and how how can we talk about real world uh, solutions to really serious problems? And then how do we continue to cultivate the spiritual resiliency uh, to be able to um, move well in these spaces? Because it is it it is really demanding to to really think about and consider and to live in that space when you're really absorbing that much suffering and not uh, trying to. Uh, ignore it or write it off in some capacity, but you're really grappling with the existential reality um, that so many people are uh, suffering. And so I think having that yearly check-in as a spiritual community is really important. So I think that's um, an important thing to point out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and coming directly from our community, we have certain questions that seem to come up pretty much every year, every time we return, because there's this sense of wanting to be able to do something very practical about climate justice, but then also not really always knowing, you know, where does this connect with my faith? And I think that's part of why we want to have this conversation in a church setting is we want to be able to say um, to each person that they are empowered to find that connection. It's going to look different Mm -hmm. for every person. Um, for some people, they really connected with our garden day Sundays in the past because for them, church really is about like getting into the dirt and seeing transformation, um, seeing, you know, a space that was once vacant become kind of flowering and in bloom. For other people, it is, you know, joining some sort of activism group or, you know, helping out with our nature parkway that's local to Mission Hills. And for other people, it's really like a theological endeavor, um, and all are welcome right. here. So uh, we have a couple questions that we'll kind of address today and then also try to give a few directions of here, here are things to explore, yeah. take what works, you know, leave what doesn't, but uh, we hope it'll be a foundation. Yeah. So let's get into the questions. All right. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, those who had uh, specific questions. And I know, uh, you know, it's hard to you know, necessarily come up with a question that uh, so many of us are trying to develop language around. But thank you to all those who have questions. And of course, we'll be uh, there on Sunday if you have any questions uh, or follow ups on this. So let's dive into some questions. Our first question quotes Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. How must government, big business and society change its way of thinking to combat climate injustice? And what changes in our thinking do we as individuals need to make? 
Okay, this is a great question, and hopefully we can talk about this one on Sunday because I think it's worthwhile spending some time uh, as a group talking about this. So I like to think of it uh, in a variety of uh, ways that maybe we can split it up into categories. So uh, one way we could split it up is uh, head and heart solutions. This is something we've kind of talked about all month that uh, we need real solutions to real world problems, that we are in a climate emergency and as a species, in order to do something about an uh, an emergency, we have to collectively act as global citizens uh, to work in each other's interests. I think over the next century, this is going to, and not even next century, the next decade is going to take uh, a kind of human solidarity uh, that maybe the world has never seen. And I think um, Bill McKibben said that the the game that we're that we're playing is is shrinking. We're all becoming more connected. I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, for uh, solidarity and for people to come together for global solutions. And so I think there's the there's the head aspect. There's there's the technological advancement side, which technology has advanced to the point where we we actually can uh, produce cleaner, more sustainable forms of energy. Uh, but our political incentives are not aligning with the technological advancement. So whenever we talk about uh, government, big business and society, we have to think about, okay, well, we have the head and the heart. We have the human uh, solidarity component. That is kind of the the heart is, the, is what I would consider sort of the spirituality of it, right? Spirituality beyond uh, you know, one religion, right? Uh, the human spirituality to come together to solve uh, an existential crisis, right? Every tenth of a degree Celsius of warming of the planet displaces around 140 million people, right? This is a, this is a problem that we're, as caring spiritual individuals, that uh, we have a kind of heart solution. Like we move, it moves our spirit to uh, cooperate and to make changes, to, to feel solidarity with other human beings around the world, and particularly those who are at risk, uh, greater risk of suffering because of climate devastation and all the rest. So we have uh, head solutions, technological advancements, uh, and then we have to, co- you, you mentioned government here, we have to create the incentives for government to cooperate in this way. So as uh, global consciousness changes and has changed, we see so many movements uh, of all generations collectively working together. We have uh, you know, Third Act and Sunrise Movement and so many uh, great climate justice movements that there is that uh, cooperation, but we also have to move uh, so much faster from uh, a governmental standpoint than what we're doing. We have uh, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act was a huge step forward, not as big as it could have been, it should have been. We have Joe Manchin to thank for that, right? Uh, cutting out things like the Climate Corps that would have you know, created uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs working in clean energy. So the, the, that's an example of the political incentives not moving in step with global consciousness and uh, the technological advancement. So we have uh, the head and the heart intersecting with uh, the sort of political environment. And that involves uh, not only the political incentives within our own local and state and nation nationwide governments, uh, but also the cooperation for uh, other nations as well. And so I think to me, you're you're right on in asking this question because we have to we have to change our thinking. We think about um, you know just even the the Christian solutions as far as how we come up with a, a kind of spiritual resiliency. I think uh, this is where we bring in things like the importance of rest in the biblical tradition of jubilee, taking a break, letting the land heal. And these are. Um, you know, changes of thinking. You know, we talk about uh, another uh, Christian framework that we can think about is uh, repentance, right? We've talked about this word, Emission Hills, uh, for several years. Repentance is, you know, change your way of thinking, change your consciousness. This is one of the the deep calls of Jesus uh, to his community, change your way of thinking. And I think as Christians who are offering not only uh, a kind of spiritual resiliency for ourselves and our community and our world, uh, but this is a calling that we should bring into our own lives, that we can change our way of thinking. And our changing our way of thinking is not just an intellectual pursuit, but it is a full body heart pursuit that cares deeply about people and what is going on in the world and realizes the scope of the problem 
uh, in a way that says we have to move fast. And it involves, like you said, all of these systems uh, that you mentioned in your question. So great question. And I hope we can talk more about it on Sunday. All right, next question. So how can I actually make an impact when most of the pollution is done by big corporations? How can I actually make an impact? Well, it's important to recognize first that truth, right? That there are a handful of corporations who continue to cause detrimental harm uh, to the environment and people um, at the same time. And so, yes, part of this conversation has to be around holding accountable voting practices, um, finding ways in which we as a society move forward. But I also know that this question is meant more as an individual approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like what does yeah. this look like in my real day to day? Because it's not sustainable to try to hold yourself to this high standard of I'm going to be that uh, trash girl who had <laughs> all of her trash for a year in like a Mason jar. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's just not yeah. practical in today's society. And there's so many ways in which I think even really progressive or like justice focused spaces end up using some, form of like shame as a tactic, right? Of like, oh, if you're not, uh, you know, boycotting Amazon and Target and all these things, Mm -hmm. then you're not a good environmental activist. And that's just not true. Like there are so many factors here, social economic status, right? Access to different practices. So I think what matters at the end of the day is finding some sense of connection and purpose to whatever you're doing, trying to find an intention, and then also being able to just look at something and say, I see that this is not necessarily affirming of climate justice. Mm. I want to be part of a a conversation at least. And I think we're doing that here at Mission Hills of how we might collectively have some sort of impact or action. So at the end of the day, I think it can be that simple, but we might Mm. even judge ourselves for thinking that it has to be more complex than that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And that's something we've talked uh, a lot about in years past, how, uh, you know, modern capitalism is responsible for, you know, like uh, the question implies, like for the vast majority of um, the uh, carbon that's uh, released in the atmosphere, uh, we know that the 100 largest companies are responsible for 71% of the climate emissions. So, uh that is a reality. So kind of dealing with that can be, can feel really defeating. And so I think, like you said, coming to terms with that is, is difficult, but then there is also something that works, I think toward our benefit, which you kind of mentioned, uh, against the shame approach, which is you're responsible for, uh, you know, solving the climate crisis. Like you can uh, take shorter showers or do this or buy an electric car or uh, put solar panels on your house, all of which are great things, you know, using uh, reusable uh, bags and uh, all all kinds of reusable materials. Great. Um, And so I think whenever I think about this, uh, it's important to say that, as I mentioned earlier, like no small act is, um, is unimportant. And so, but it is kind of like, to me, it is a little level one, which is of course, um, to have the awareness of your impact is an important thing. I think just as a environmentally conscious individual, um, there, there's a lot of grace there that you can move in and around your world and say, okay, well, I live in a complex society full of a variety of factors that are all working against us. Uh, Okay, I know that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is one of the largest global uh, emitters. Uh, You know, and I use Chase Bank. Okay, Uh, you know, how do I how do I reconcile with that? Uh, I know that uh, Amazon is responsible for um, so much of uh, environmental waste. And I have a prime membership. Okay, so you're always recognizing that these complicated factors are at play. But I think it is important to have the kind of awareness to say, um, and I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm not, uh, you know, responsible for this. Um, but what is necessary 
in this particular case? What, what am I giving myself too hard of a time on? And I think sometimes those, um, those kind of corporate messages um, are used to maintain the status quo and make it to seem like it is the individual's responsibility to make a solution for this when actually what we need is we need systemic solutions on a global scale and we need them 10 years ago or whatever. Right. Uh, and instead of being defeated, like, you know, nihilistically saying, well, there's nothing we can do. Let's just, you know, all continue to live our lives and whatever happens happens. Uh, instead of <laughs> going into a, a kind of defeatist mindset, I think it is important to have that kind of awareness to say, you know, what is necessary in this particular situation? What is what, what is necessary in my life? Where am I feeling uh, disconnected from um, from uh, the environment around me or from my community? And seeing it more in a holistic perspective, I think can kind of help give ourselves and our communities grace and also make us feel more empowered to make these systemic changes, whether that's on a, at a community level, a city level, state, you know, national, et cetera. And so I think empowering ourselves to then go into our world and empower the people around us with whatever that thing is that makes you, uh, you know, excited. We talked about like the transformative and the creative, um, and I think those are really great questions to say, um, where can I make uh, a change? Where where do I feel like I can be my most creative self? And I think when we follow those particular roads, then we're at least headed down a path of, um, of change that is going to be um, sustainable for us and sustainable for uh, for the health of our communities and planet. And so I think... That's really, I think, when we think of eco-spirituality and in the midst of so much climate crisis, we want to create sustainable lifestyles. And I think about like the difference between fad diets and sustainable diets. I think of it kind of in the same way. It's like it's it's very understandable for someone to, uh, you know, watch a, a documentary about animal agriculture and say, oh, I'm never going to eat any meat or any dairy ever again. And maybe that's, uh, some people's personalities I think are predisposed to just like quick cold Turkey and that, that can work really well, but sometimes like stopping something like that tends to not be a sustainable approach. And then after doing it for a month, two months or something like that, it feels like less achievable because of maybe other lifestyle factors or family factors or community factors, whatever it may be. And so that's just an example of how, I think it's important to approach the individual action in ways that are uh, sustainable for an individual and also allows a, a ton of grace to to get it wrong and to make changes that there's no one right solution for uh, like proper climate action, but there are better ways of living and more sustainable ways of, of living. And that's going to be um, like there are some universals there, uh, but that is going to be an individual choice. And I think to, to be able to say, how can I approach my life in a sustainable way that's going to be healthy over the long term is kind of what I would encourage people to try to consider. And so some of those wholesale changes can happen fast and they can be great. Uh, but I think changing certain things incrementally and making it a sustainable lifestyle choice, um, tends to be um, the way to go and more helpful. But yeah. So many good thoughts. I don't know if any There's of so that. so many yeah. things. Yeah, that was a lot. I'll try to track a little bit of my thoughts um, in response to that. And again, it is all interconnected. It's really hard for someone to be able to make healthy food choices when one, it costs more. And then also, right. yeah. you know, you exist in places that there are food deserts. So we completely understand and we bring that into this conversation of saying, you know, do what feels not just right to you, but also is accessible and also isn't going to put you in harm's way. And at the same time, there are things mm. that are universally accessible if you can give yourself permission to find them. I do think everything has to come out of connection, right? I've talked in years past about how it's really only when we're so disconnected 
to something that we can truly try to dominate or exploit it. Um, I think of the billionaires, right. Who can like snap their fingers and, you know, a number of calls get made and rainforests are being cut down and they've never once been there, seen this damage and how easy it is for them to just make these decisions that impact the globe. So in response to that, um, we have to find our own sense of connection to the earth, to nature, wherever you might be. Um, Circularity community, where we've shared a number of posts before, have some awesome journal prompts and discussions around eco-anxiety. And so if that's something that you feel like this really does bring out a lot of emotion for me, and it might be helpful to have a processing space or, or learn from people who are doing this work consistently, it's a great place to check out. But something they also suggest is finding moments of eco-joy, right? That even in the midst of a heavy conversation, we have to have moments of play, of fun, of awe, of connection. And often the things that are like good for the environment, I think, or are good at helping us feel connected are things that are good for our health too. Mm. Being outside in the sun for even 10 minutes can be really good for us. Having a hand, you know, in the soil or touching something green every day has been proven yeah. to sh- like help you and help your health. So I think all of that to say, for me, something that's been really helpful has been when I have a chance to like going on a hike and really slowing down. You still hike barefoot? Every now and then. Yes, <laughs> every now and then. Because I have to be forced, right? Like I am so used to living my life at such a fast pace that the only thing that has helped me was introduced uh, to me at a training I went to was like going out on a hike barefoot. And it's amazing how much different the ground feels <laughs> when you don't have that protective layer. But I think the same can be applied to faith and conversation, right? It feels completely different when you are actually now a part of the conversation. Like at, at church, when we do podcast style, it's not just people like sitting and taking it in. It can be very vulnerable to share. Like, actually, this is what I feel about faith. This is where I find my, you know, inspiration because we know not everyone thinks or feels the same way. But the hope is we do that with a intentionality of respect and exploration, and that like holy curiosity is something that we uh, bring back. Yeah, I think something you were kind of touching on a second ago. Uh, so much of. Uh, our modern day lives, it sort of is influenced by the capitalist understanding that, well, if, if we just had something more, if we just did something more, so even breaking that cycle mentally to say, okay, I don't need anything. Like I, I don't have to, I don't have to purchase anything. I don't, I, you can just go outside and that might sound really stupid. <laughs> that might sound really stupid, uh, but I think it it is part of that unquestioned aspect of modern American life, especially um, that even the next climate solution is something that can be purchased. And sometimes it is just uh, stripping away things. That's something you've talked about in years past, uh, whether that's um, thrifting or. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of a, a kind of uh, what was the resellable, I, not uh, like, the resharable group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where people are like actually just, they're just sharing their, I have a note somewhere on our website about it. Um, I'm still part the buy nothing. Buy nothing. Yeah. Yes. Buy nothing. Um, like there's buy nothing. There's uh, clean out your closet. That's mm-hmm. another one that you've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Even stuff like that is um, those are, those are really countercultural um, ways that uh, don't have to be, they don't have to be this big thing, but they can just be these little shifts to sit, to sort of check yourself. And you're like, you know what? I'm okay. Like ev- even that is, I think a, a sort of like radical spiritual act to, to be even be able to recognize that um, I don't have to, to buy anything else at this point. Um, even questioning certain things that we, we might want and say, you know what? Like, yeah, I want this thing, but you know what? I I actually don't need it right now and uh, I'm not going to buy it. And that might seem uh, really trite and simple, but it can also, um, I think, go a long way in sort of combating that, um, that sort of mentality that we can, we can all get caught up in. 
the only thing that's coming to my mind right now is the Barbie movie. And I'll explain <laughs> I'll explain why. But on um, Intersectionalist and Environment, they made these posts right in the wake of the movie because I won't I will try not to spoil anything. But in the Barbie movie, right, it's talking about, you know, patriarchy. It's talking about these things in which we need to um, care for society and, and change like the norms. And at the same time, Barbie, uh, like Mattel profited so much off of like partnerships and people buying a ton of stuff, even people just buying like a new outfit to go to see the movie Hmm. and kind of their critique was saying, Hey, especially for a movie that's critiquing things like this in our society, how can we encourage each other to say, Hey, you already have enough. Like we already have enough. We already are enough. You Hmm. don't have to reach this like, uh, you know, certain level of aesthetic or need, you know, to get your ticket just in order to, to attend. And I think we, we have that kind of mindset all the time, or at least our society sells us that mindset all the time of, well, if you just add more, then, then you'll have enough. And we never reach that. And so when you apply that to spirituality, it's way more impactful to kind of strip it back to the most simple of things. Um, it's why I love the song simple gospel so much is that it like, there really doesn't have to be so much to it, but there are so many cultural levels that get added on over time. So I think finding some sort of grounding, even in Jesus's own story and own life, if that's someone that you feel like you want to connect to in this way, Jesus didn't carry much with him, even as he traveled and he didn't set up you know, one space in which everyone else was expected to come. And even I think I love um, some of the images that have been used uh, to express affirmation of transgender folks. There's this quote of, you know, the divine gave us wheat, but not bread, grapes, but not wine, so that humanity Hmm. could be part of the co-creation, right? And I think that can be applied to a number of different levels of spirituality, Um, And again, that's where we get these metaphors come back to natural elements Mm. that help inspire us to be creative, to think about transforming our spaces, to add that connection to all of us. All right. Our next question is uh, talk more about falling in love three times a day. So falling this idea of falling in love three times a day was something that we talked about within Matthew Fox's uh, framework of uh, positive, negative creative and transformative ways. So he has these four paths that start with the positive way. And essentially, uh, he has these kind of like funny commandments that go with each one of these paths. And so for the positive way, his commandment was thou shalt fall in love at least three times a day. And so the positive way that he suggests uh, like an e- a Christian eco-spiritual approach to life begins with uh, blessing. It be- begins with recognizing goodness finding moments of awe, joy, simplicity, gratitude, all of these things that open us up to what we've been talking about here, whether uh, that's in the simplest thing, uh, a simple moment, even being uh, alone or in nature, that it begins with uh, doing something like falling in love at least three times a day. And the way that I interpret this particular phrase is kind of through that real broad lens, that I think so much of uh, the demands of modern life are really just like grind, hustle, succeed, (laughs) get through the day, uh, you know, do what you got to do to uh, achieve, uh, hit certain benchmarks by a certain age. Uh, Okay, you're 25, you should have done this, this and this by now. Uh, All right, you're 30, so you should have accumulated this, this and this. You should be working on that 401k, Kelly. You know, all these things that society says, by this time, you should have this. So within that environment, there's not a lot of encouragement for people to uh, fall in love with life and to be to be appreciative, genuinely appreciative of small interactions. It's like when when our society doesn't incentivize uh, walking through life intentionally and slowly, uh, it's really hard for us to to live in such a way where you are spending enough time with something or someone to genuinely appreciate 
that moment or that person for uh, who they are or what they are. So that can be uh, an interaction with an individual uh, like at a store or like a coffee shop. Um, that could be genuinely being present with yourself in a brief moment in the morning. Uh, something like being genuinely appreciative and grateful, uh, even when things in life are difficult and we sort of recognize all the sort of complicated factors, as we mentioned, that uh, modern life demands on us. And I think there is a resiliency to being able to say, uh, and I am, I am going to choose to, to be grateful and appreciative um, in this moment for this person in front of me or for um, this time that I have uh, for myself or uh, being able to make a meal for a group of friends, whatever it is. Uh, so I think this idea of falling in love three times a day is like trying to work this muscle of gratitude and appreciation for all of life um, in everything that that encompasses. And so to me, that's like, it's like a cheeky command, but I think a really important one with the demands of modern life. Yeah. And interestingly enough, appreciation of life is one of the six areas of post-traumatic growth, which is important, I think, both for us and also our experience of nature and the earth. I mean, I think at this point, every single person has been through some form of trauma. Um, we've been through collective trauma in light of COVID-19 even. The earth has been through a significant amount of trauma and yet continues to bloom. We continue to see growth, right? We continue to see this cycle of soil to faith um, to like transformation. And we are like, we are part of nature too, right? I think some forms of spirituality and then also capitalism puts us as above the earth or as above other beings. But that falling in love three times a day, even if it's really just addressed to nature, it does include us. It does include our lives. And so it's important as much as you are falling in love, maybe with the experience of nature or watching, you know, a bee as they're kind of on a flower, it's also important to extend some of that love to yourself. So in that way, I also still see all of these things as interconnected. And so if you're doing any sort of work on feeling more comfortable and at peace with yourself or finding that awe with other people or finding awe in the environment around you, all of it is considered good. Yeah. All right. So our next question is, how do we think about some of the like biblical texts in light of a environmental framework or an eco-spiritual framework, uh, what texts do you, if you have any that you go to, or how do you think about the Bible uh, when it has, like we talked about today at church, like such a uh, particular uh, Western colonial uh, lens sort of put on many of the interpretations and approaches to the Bible? How do we, how do we go about sort of uh, reading the Bible in a different way, uh, if that's possible? Today, we talked about kind of a background on the term wild and wilderness, which comes up hundreds of times in the biblical text. And I think that was a really good conversation and starting point for this. Um, I also just like to track how, you know, different aspects of the environment around Jesus or the disciples are listed in pretty much every description, right? We get Jesus on the mountain, Jesus, you know, in the water, we have him on the, the shoreline, um, mm -hmm. there's not a single moment, I don't think, in which like human human experience was separated from where they were at physically. And there's a couple of people who pointed out how beautiful it is that, you know, the divine finds people in the midst of the wilderness, and that can be an extremely transformative space. Um, it's also interesting to see differences in text, Sermon on the Mount. One version has Jesus actually on a mountain. The other has Jesus coming down to the space and being on equal like ground with other people around him. And all of those things are important to recognize when we're talking about power, um, the way in which the Western lens gets uh, kind of attached to some of these things. But at the end of the day, I think I see like Jesus's relationship to the earth as very personal, as very interconnected, that he would have known 
um, the environment, like the, the signs, right? The seasons, all of these things very well. And that was also informing how he moved similar in a way that maybe indigenous folks are informed by the seasons and how, um, you know, they're, they're taking up space depending on like the earth's rhythms. And that is so much more connected than where we find ourselves. We're like, well, I want to have a mango at any time of the year. So therefore I know somehow, some way it's going to be able to get imported so I can have this thing in my season, in, in my timing. So those are some of my thoughts. Very, very basic. Yeah, and I think that's an important way to at least begin to start. Uh, if you're someone who finds value in uh, approaching uh, the biblical stories, I think that's a really helpful way to do it is to read it and like make, even make note or just a mental note of uh, looking for those um, those words that are explicitly about something in nature. And we'd even mentioned in our conversation this morning, even if you take a look at someone like John the Baptist is like, he's like a wilderness person and dresses like the wild, you know, eats wild honey and all kinds of like crazy stuff. So it's like, we haven't been, most of us haven't been conditioned or taught to approach the story and say, Hey, look at uh, what the story is saying about the natural environment or uh, read the text imaginatively. Put yourself in the scene and uh, imagine what the, the atmosphere is like. Imagine uh, whenever you read the story, uh, what is it saying about the environment? What is it describing about the environment in which uh, J- Jesus and the disciples are in? For example, like something like that, I think is a way, like you said, that you can approach a story uh, or a gospel that you've maybe heard hundreds of times and you've heard lots of certain interpretations of, and maybe the story comes alive in a different way uh, for you. So I think that's a really helpful way to even reapproach uh, stories in the Bible. Uh, I would even add, if you just look at uh, the life of Jesus, um, look for what's not there. So what is Jesus not engaging in? Uh, Jesus is obviously uh, someone who lived, like you said, incredibly simply, relied on the generosity of others, traveled from town to town, not owning anything, not carrying anything. And so there's a lot there uh, to to sort of imagine that, oh, this person is relying on the generosity of others, of other people hosting him. And so I think even that is a, is a, a lens you can read the text through is just observing what's not there in the life of Jesus and how simple uh, his his day-to-day existence was. So even something like that is a different way of sort of reading the text is just imagining and thinking and really contemplating and considering uh, all the all the things that he did not have. And um, I think that might be helpful. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that connects back to the four paths as well. If you try to read through... A specific text in a, a positive way, negative way, creative way, transformative way, you're going to get a different kind of feel. And so that might just be a practice, you know, as you develop your own practice, whether that is spending more time out in nature or um, doing something that feels good to your own eco spirituality, perhaps that's another option. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's also important to, to recognize that. Um, it might not always be entirely helpful to um, to use the Bible in that particular way, and to say um, even breaking out of the mindset that uh, the the Bible doesn't necessarily have to say everything about modern life as well, mm-hmm. and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. So uh, sometimes I don't particularly like uh, you know forcing the Bible to have to always um, speak into our mo- modern context. Uh, because sometimes uh, that's just not always the most helpful way either. So even giving yourself permission to, if you're saying, oh, well, what does the Bible say about this? Um, sometimes it doesn't say anything particular. So um, that's okay as well. So uh, if you're out there thinking thinking that, you have, you have my permission. So. <laughs> um, all right. So what other questions uh, do you have, Kelly? Uh, you know, we've talked about you know, how do we create this balance for taking care of ourselves and our community while also carrying a healthy 
concern and understanding of so much of the injustice and crises that people face. Um, I think always think that that's something that I kind of struggle with in uh, trying to balance that like healthy understanding of what's going on in the world. Uh, so you're just not completely disconnected from uh, the real injustice that people are facing while also being able to, like you said today, be tender with yourself and know when to cultivate healthy practices for you to engage and then also disengage. I think part of it is understanding um, maybe the role or the needs we get when we are in that space of burnout, right? I think uh, there are some people who find themselves still energized and excited and, and ready to jump in. But I think right now more folks find themselves on the the burnout side of the spectrum. And there are some psychologists who say really the only way to address this is to completely like reshape your life to completely be in a, in a different pattern that allows yourself more grace or more creativity. And we know that that's also not possible for everyone too. I mean, if it is that drastic of a change that you feel like, you know, this would improve my life, not just personally, but then also give me more access or opportunity to be a part of environmental care. Great. Um, but I do think making, making small changes so that you feel like you are being most true to yourself, right? At whatever pace you can, um, then that's that's enough. And we we try to model at Mission Hills like this balance between action, conversation, contemplation. Um, we have a lot of actions, whether it's the um, solar panels or participating in one percent for the planet or um, doing uh, carbon emission care by um, kind of investing in environmental organizations who are doing good work. There's a lot of action, but then there's also always space in our services for contemplation, right? To slow down, to challenge ourselves against a, a normal pace of life. And then somewhere in between, we're honoring the fact that everyone has a different kind of the theological understanding. So in your own personal sense, um, I think if you can balance those those few things, that is a great way to care for yourself and then also care for the world around you um, and really to lean into however you might reframe this notion of grace uh, that that is that has to help lead any action that you do participate in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think t to me, it, it definitely starts with um, really like, a, I mean, I'm much more like intellectually, uh, like centered and just like way I process things. So having a healthy understanding of what's going on, I think allows me to then sort of consider, all right, well, what can I, what can I do? And then sometimes I think on the, on the bad end, it, it turns into like the kind of like overwhelm where it's just like, there's too much information. There's the scale of the crisis is, is too big. Uh, the historical trajectory is not good. And Ryan in mission Hills is going to have, you know, zero effect of whether or not like warming is going to be curbed by, uh, you know, 3% by the end of the century or whatever. And so to me, it's like, it's helpful to have the, the sort of broad understanding of the problem first uh, and then I, I said, like work back from there <laughs> in some ways, which I know that that is like, not, I've talked with enough people, enough people over the last 10 years that that's not how everybody necessarily processes information. So people like to start small and then build there. I, <laughs> I like to like scare myself and then work backwards. Um, and I, I think that that kind of works for me in the sense that, uh, it then sort of gives me. Uh, a scale for what I kind of can do. So it, I, I sort of understand uh, the magnitude of the problem. And then I, I then have the sort of like grace to, to know, all right, well, this is what I can do. And this is what I particular, what particularly interests me and what makes me um, in a sense feel, I wouldn't say feel good, but I would say, 
I, I have more of a sense of how, um, how the impact, uh, affects me and other people. And so I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but it, you're shaking, Kelly's shaking her head. No, uh, that's a lie. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> but it, it does kind of give me a sense of like, I don't know, you, you add your thoughts and I'm going to like get back to my, I'm going to get back to my thought. I don't know that I have really any other answers per se so much as just general musings. Um, again, I think one of the biggest struggles is that we as a society are so disconnected even from our own bodies, which is something that like we can't, we can't actually separate ourselves from right. Wherever you go, you're going with, with your body, your mind, your spirit. Mm. And so um, we have to be, Connect, finding ways to connect to ourselves in order to find any sort of connection to other people, connection to the environment. Sometimes it does happen in reverse, right? Sometimes we've been told to not trust ourselves. We had this conversation earlier today, so much so that the only way to build back towards trusting yourself is to be able to find that grounding in the environment or in community or with safe individuals. So there is no prescription, right? There's no, hey, just do this and everything will be simple and easy. But that's why we're just trying to figure out, you know, there's a hundred percent chance we'll mess up, right? Just that's a general acceptance if you're involved in justice work. And that can be really defeating if you let it be, Mm. or it can be really freeing to say, Hey, I accept with humility. This is just where we are. We're all learning how to do new things, right. And adjust to new realities. How can I do that? Have grace for myself, have grace for other people. And still try to find some hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what I was trying to get around to saying is like, um, caring, this is going to sound really stupid, that, that caring matters. And I think what I mean by that is at least for, for me, knowing the, the magnitude of a problem allows me to get a sense of what I would consider caring. And then it's like, all right, once that's fully, accepted, uh, then I'm at least able to, to do something, uh, and live from a place of like, like you said, I might not do it right, or I might not have all of the answers. And I think, you know, living in such a way where you're, uh, you know, always being able to accept and reconsider like new information is just a healthy way to, to live. Uh, and so that's part of the problem, especially as we're, the environment is constantly changing. We're always facing new, uh, unexpected environmental devastation. And the future is like Natasha Bedingfield said, unwritten. Uh, that was bad. Uh, that we're, we're recognizing that, uh, we are co-creating and then there is so much out of our control. And we've talked about it so many times at mission Hills that like a really great spiritual muscle to, uh, work is, being okay with not being in control. And I think so much of uh, conspiracy theory culture that we're seeing sort of as a result of COVID-19 and as we're seeing a result of climate change and this sort of fracture of people who, uh, who claim climate change is a hoax and somehow like not real and how we have a, an entire uh, political party that seems to be going down this trajectory um, is a reaction to not being able to deal with the fact that we have to come to uh, an understanding and a lived experience that we are not fully in control. And so when we do this within the context of a uh, church or a Christian spiritual space, um, I think it's really helpful to say that uh, our level of care, our level of being okay, of not being in control, of not having all of the right answers right now, that that is where we can be most effective, that we're actually in a really grounded place when we're okay with where we're at and taking really small, sustainable steps for ourselves and for each other and realizing that that is a huge gift to be able to to give ourselves and the people that we share life with. Uh, that's, I think, a really help, healthy, eco-spiritual place to live from. And so it's taking all of these factors and saying, all right, like, I know, I know the scale and I know I'm not, I'm not going to have all the right answers. And I know that we're all working this out and yeah, it's, it's okay. But you know what? 
I know that uh, this has worked for so-and-so and maybe like I'll try that or maybe I'll try to eat less meat or try to buy less stuff for this month and see how that feels. And I think sort of doing those sorts of things and trying it on, maybe I'll, you know, grow a few herbs, you know, at my apartment or at my house and see how that feels, see if I learn anything. And I think all of those types of things of trying certain things out uh, can be really healthy within the context of all of that. And so I think what I was trying to get around to, to saying for me, working backwards, if it's helpful for anyone else is like the, the large scale helps me sort of like come to terms with like not in controlness, but in that helps me come to terms with the okayness. Kelly's still shaking her head. <laughs> She's still shaking her head. I no, that's, yes. oh my gosh. All right. Um, any final thoughts? I know Kelly's got to get going here. Um, to close us out. Gratitude for this community, gratitude for um, a space that does consider these conversations important, and also gratitude, if you've made it this far to the end of this podcast, um, that you're allowing yourself some sense of, of curiosity, right? That you're facing you know, whatever emotions it might be, whether that's the eco anxiety or trying to overcome other systems that use have used shame uh, to try and get people to act a certain way. Regardless of what you've had to overcome, it's taken a good bit of imagination to get here. Um, and we know that to be true for a number of reasons for folks who find their way to Mission Hills. So with all of that, um, you know, when we say when we say be well, um, I think in that we mean like be good to yourself, uh, to find ways to not have to take yourself too seriously, right? That somewhere in all of this, you should find moments to experience joy or to like play around a little bit. I don't know. Uh, we have some people in our community who do forest walks in like onesies because that brings them so much joy. It can be whatever feels right to you. Right. So on that note, yeah, it's all I got. Forest walks in onesies. Uh, there we go. Yeah, dinosaur onesies to be specific. Okay, that makes it better. Yeah, that's great. Uh, And I think even expanding, um, like how we consider, because I think we think, you know, and I'm probably guilty of it too. I just mentioned like planting herbs or stuff like that, but like expanding the imagination for you know what is good for you and connecting that. It's kind of like the the biblical analogy of like reading your life through an environmental lens, as opposed to saying, well, I did this for the environment and then I'm living the rest of my life over here. Uh, like, I mean, you spend a lot of your time dancing, for instance, mm-hmm. um, that, that has an impact because like you, that is a way that you have found that you've like really connected with your body and who, mm-hmm. who you are. So that is going to have an impact in everything else you do. And I think almost approaching all the things that we do in our lives and kind of re-examining that through an environmental lens can also be helpful to say, you know, actually I'm already doing certain things mm-hmm. that I haven't even considered are having uh, an eco impact or an environmental yeah. impact um, uh, positively. And so uh, that might even be another helpful thought as, you know, you go about thinking beyond this month of September, uh, what are the things that I'm already doing that I maybe haven't even considered are having a really positive impact on how I feel about myself, how I feel about my body in, in relation, how I take that into, into the world. So, um, those are all, I think, uh, you know, helpful thoughts as we like wrap up this podcast. Uh, please, if, if you're, uh, around listening to this, uh, during the week, uh, give us your feedback, give us your thoughts, uh, all that good stuff, uh, discord, Facebook, um, we want to hear from you and hear your questions. And then if you're around on Sunday, we're just going to be uh, talking about all of this as we sort of wrap up this uh, rewild series. So if you have any uh, questions or, or if this podcast has made you uh, think of something else, uh, please, uh, you know, bring your questions on Sunday and we're just going to have a long form discussion kind of talking about all of this as we wrap up uh, environmental awareness month. So thank you as always for listening and thank you to Kelly for helping uh, guide this conversation and uh, guide our conversation today at church. So thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Yeah. Be well.